Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Chicago, Illinois, it's time for Chicago Business Radio. Now here are your hosts, Lee Cantor and Stone Payton. Lee Cantor here with Stone Payton, another episode of Chicago Business Radio and Stone. We're wrapping up. This is the last day here in Chicago. Are you enjoying it? I am. This has been a fantastic trip, and uh, it just rolls right off the tongue now to say Chicago Business Radio. It's a regular thing now, so uh, I don't know. Maybe we'll have a permanent studio here before too long, but uh, I can guarantee you, regardless, we'll definitely be back. We've had uh, some marvelous conversations, had an opportunity to talk with some very passionate, dedicated people uh, in the learning space on behalf of our underwriters, training pros on the show Learning Insights, and then... uh, We've had a chance to visit with a half a dozen or more businesses on this platform, Chicago Business Radio. This is going to be a fantastic segment. A little bit later in the program, we're going to get a chance to visit with Mike Lynn of Lynn Learning Collaborations. He's also a relationship manager with Training Pros, and that's how we first uh, caught up with Mike. So looking forward to that conversation. We're also going to get a chance to visit with the CEO of DevMind, Mr. J.C. Grubbs. But first up on Chicago Business Radio, it is my distinct pleasure to introduce the Executive Director for the Association of Legal Administrators. Please join me in welcoming to the broadcast, Mr. Oliver Yandel. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Well, we are delighted to have you, and thank you so much for not making me read a big, long legal disclaimer <laughs> before we put you on here, which is not always the, always the case. Uh, could you start us out maybe with a, a primer, just a brief explanation of mission and purpose uh, for this Association of Legal Administrators? Sure. Uh, the Association of Legal Administrators is an organization of about 9,000 professionals whose responsibility is to manage the business side of law firms. So they handle everything from human resources to technology to facilities management, um, the whole gamut of any pretty much non-client-facing um, activities that a firm would have to, to manage. Um, and our, our mission is to help them do their jobs as, as well as can, they can, um, to provide them with resources, um, knowledge, insights, um, trend information, um, to give them the tools they need to, to be successful and to help their firm succeed. So now it seems like there's an association for everything. Yes. How has this association been around for a while? Yes, we've been around for about 40 years. 40 years. Yeah. And then it's always targeted this group of legal administrators? Al- always been focused on the business uh, folks in law firms and law offices. Now, when did it, um, like, what's the pain point that you all decided that you need to organize around? Um, I, because the lawyers are often not the best managers, and being a lawyer, I can say that um, (laughs) safely, um, are not the best at at managing business. Um, They recognize that they need people who have... That are like specialists in this area. Exactly, who understand finance, who understand technology, and can really take care of those business um, issues so that the lawyers can then focus on serving clients and and taking care of... of Now, are there chapters all over the country? We have 92 chapters all around the country all around the country and in some parts of the world. We have um, uh, chapters in Canada, um, and we have uh, members throughout the, the world. And then what happens at like the chapter meetings? A lot of the, the chapters will have um, monthly meetings where they'll provide educational programs, guest speakers, um, often idea exchanges where they'll share best practices or share their pain points and, and questions and issues and get uh, advice and information from each other. So doesn't it seem to you, Lee, like we are meeting a lot of people from associations lately, and maybe we've had this kind of skewed view because we're going out and we're doing you know, radio broadcast at some association events, but I, I got to ask you, is, um, 
is associations, is it just really taking off right now? Or is it just this, Lee and I are just now beginning to recognize that there's so many of these things happening? You might just be now recognizing it. Uh, <laughs> associations have been around for a long time, and Chicago is the second largest uh, community of associations oh, wow. in the world. So um, a lot of legal and a lot of medical uh, societies and professional organizations are here. Um, and so there's, there's definitely been, uh, and, and many of them have been around for over 100 years. And thriving on the upswing, or is it, or is it fading a little bit? What, what's the, uh, I don't know, the, the state of the industry, if that's the right term? It's definitely in a lot of transition. Um, organizations are finding that there's a lot of competition, changes in the economy, especially over the last uh, five to eight years, have really forced them to take a whole look at their their processes, their procedures, um, the, the businesses that they're serving. And it's really forced them to um, take a strategic look at how they deliver products and services, um, what membership really means, and making sure they're delivering relevant uh, content to their members so they can stay, stay in business and, and, and thrive. Technology has really played a role in, in creating additional competition. People can get information pretty much anywhere at any time, um, very tailored to their needs. And associations have to find new ways to deliver to provide that the value back to the members right exactly because at one point i guess the association was the keeper of the information Absolutely. or a place where it all was and now and so the people can find it without it so so then membership is a challenge i guess as an executive director that's one of the main uh things you're charged with absolutely and it is more challenging people have a lot of demands on their time a lot of demands on their money and they are making very conscious decisions about how they allocate those things and so we have to make sure that they're getting a return on that investment and, right. and really delivering something that is relevant and value and t timely to them now how as executive director are you able to do that and provide that value are you polling them or are you asking them what they want or, or how does that work? It's a lot of conversation with members and, and non-members as well to find out what's going on How in the industry. How can I get the new mem you know, prospective members in? Exactly. And, and really trying to f understand what future trends are and anticipating those and then developing solutions to those challenges mm -hmm. or problems or, or trends that are coming down the pike. Now, one of the uh, values that I would imagine you provide are, is the, are these big annual events, right? Yes. Now, you just had one recently. We just did. We just came back from Toronto. Very successful event. Um, very high energy. And again, really focusing on the future. One of the, the big uh, exhibits that we had was uh, Redesign Law, which is the law office of the future. Um, we had some technology demonstrations and some new uh, configure space configurations and new uh, uh, furniture and equipment. So it was actually there? Actually there, wow. very interactive. That was, that was chance cool. to, Yeah, really, mm -hmm. really fun to, to take a look at where things are headed and, um, and, and challenge our members to think about how they need to redesign their their offices and how to change the way they do business um in a firm so what's your backstory personally how did you get to, get to where we are today like most association professionals it was sort of an accident um i finished uh college and went to uh, washington wanted to work on capitol hill uh, went looking for a job and found one at an association instead of uh, oh. on on the hill, <laughs> and I've been involved with it ever since. But it's really fun. It's a so great you were with this association. No, no, no. Um, many others uh, prior to oh, this. Oh, so you've so been with. He's been of... hired and fired for the exactly. most exactly. I can't keep a job. Yeah. <laughs> it's been tough. Were um, you always executive director? Or you had a variety role. <laughs> <laughs> if uh, if only. Uh, no, I um, had a lot of different uh, positions prior to becoming executive director, mm -hmm. which has been great because it, it gave me a chance to see a variety of different roles how they do different exactly. things. exactly um, now what are the some of the are there kind of similarities amongst the associations that they have similar challenges 
I think a lot of them do have similar challenges as we talked about um, in terms of membership and keeping pace and delivering relevant content and, and uh, dealing with the competition not only from other associations but from from private organizations as well. Um, but they are very distinct and very different and a lot of them do are, are a reflection of the industries and the members that they represent. Mm -hmm. So uh, legal organizations tend to have a certain culture and, and, and a certain uh, DNA, if you will. Medical societies are, are also unique in that respect and, and do take on um, some of the some of the characteristics of the right. members that they uh, that they represent. So, do you find yourself as executive director often charged with the responsibility of of generating results with and through people that don't necessarily report to you or on your payroll? I mean, don't you have some? It, a most lot of, of them volunteers? are volunteers. Right? Absolutely, yes. Um, we we do have a staff of forty, but our volunteers, as most associations um, do, really rely on we really rely on them to help us deliver the products and services, provide us with the insight. So, yeah, it's uh, nine thousand people who um who are all interested in making a contribution and and uh putting them in the same direction do you have any tips for people who have to deal with volunteers um yes uh patience is always good um a lot of communication is really important um and and understanding where they're coming from that especially as as volunteers it's not their full-time job right. and so they've have, they have a lot of other things that they've got to juggle and being sensitive to that and understanding that and um and and taking advantage of the the insight and knowledge that they bring is really important so listening is, is an important skill too so, I mean, without these volunteers, the whole opera falls apart. Absolutely. I mean, there, there's no way that your 40 people could do all the stuff, render all the service that you're rendering. And how does funding work? I, I'm operating under the impression there's probably some dues revenue, but is there like some private sector funding by... I don't know, having some access to some of these professionals, or uh, how does that work? Absolutely. Um, dues make up about a third of our, of oh, our budget. Oh, yeah, a third. But um, we do get a lot of support from our business partners who um, are vendors who provide products and services to uh, to law firms and they are very supportive um, very helpful not only in terms of the financial support but also uh, with respect to to their insights and their knowledge um, and their experiences that they can bring to bear to help us find some solutions to, right. to our so sometimes problems. they help in the education side? absolutely absolutely and then i'm sure for you it's that balance of you know you got to keep the sponsors happy but you also don't want to take advantage of the members exactly that's that's is that definitely a, challenging? A, a balancing act um but we i think ala has done a really good job of of providing that that balance our members mm -hmm. recognize the value that, right. that the business partners can bring not only from the financial perspective but also their insights um and and our business partners are respectful of of the membership recognizing that um you know they want to build a relationship and not just sell a product right well i would think that would be absolutely key is that those those vendors the those sponsors have to be genuinely committed to the health of that ecosystem and, and really want to uh, be advocates for and and uh, support the profession not just get in front of somebody for a transaction to, absolutely yeah. and that's why we call them business partners because yeah. we do really believe it's relationship that oriented not transactional absolutely absolutely so uh what do you have in front of you uh, as far as visions, you did Toronto last year. What's next? We're going to be in Nashville next year. Very yeah. excited about being in the new convention center there. It's a beautiful mm -hmm. uh, location and got a lot of new ideas and plans for for that event. We've got a series of uh, business of law conferences coming up this fall, as well as a human uh, resources for legal professionals conference um, in Vegas in November as well. So, so you do, so you have this big one, but you also have other uh, events happening throughout the year. Absolutely. So is that a lot of your time is spent kind of logistically dealing with that? 
yeah, we do spend a lot of time putting on those events, but we also have a series of webinars and, and uh, other web-based uh, online. Because you have to provide the content for all the chapters, or they're charged individually, chapter by chapter, to develop what happens at their meetings and their... We provide our chapters with assistance and resources for programming ideas, mm -hmm. but it is very much driven by the chapters themselves. But you're doing these larger events. Exactly. Right. Exactly. So what's your favorite part of the job? Because I can tell you, it, I mean, you, you seem really, to really like it. I you do. do. I mean, it <laughs> I've been doing it for a long time, so I better, right? Um, I, it's, it's really dealing with the people and, and the volunteers, working mm -hmm. with people who um, are, are volunteering their time because they're committed and passionate about their, their profession or their, or their mission, and, and that really is something that inspires me. So now you think, looking back, the, the, you could have went more lawyery? And you went this more association -y? <laughs> Well, I went to the lawyerly associations. Um, so this so was it's a perfect good, fit, a that, good right? fit. Um, yeah, I, I do, you know, I, I respect what lawyers do and, and appreciate um, the work, but I really feel that I get a lot more um, excitement and enjoyment out of working with volunteers mm -hmm. and, and helping people achieve their, their goals. That's great. So do you have a pet project or something you've got your eye on that you really want to try to make happen in the balance of 2014 or 2015 that you're allowed to talk about? Just or? one? Uh, are you, are you, I'm interested in what's in, kind of in your immediate horizon. Well, we, we have a major rebranding project. We're going through a pretty significant transformation of the association huh. to respond to all of these changes that we've been talking about. And uh, we've got a, a new rebranding initiative um, on on the way, and uh, hopefully by the early part of next year, we'll have uh, we'll have a new brand, possibly a new name, um, and really help position the association uh, to to be the leader in the business of law, um, which is uh, more than just representing legal administrators. Right. It's the business partners, and it's the it's the all of the people involved in helping to make a, a law firm succeed as a business. It seems like very rewarding work to me. I, I, I want to continue this conversation another time. It, it's, it's time to wrap up this segment, but I think it would make uh, for a fantastic segment if and when we come back, and I'm, I'm almost certain that we, that we will, to maybe have one or two of your members and get, a, get it from their perspective. Yeah, what's absolutely. going? Would you be would, a, maybe you we could do a special segment to get the whole ecosystem where you get a member yeah. and then maybe a sponsor to see how you all work together. How they together. all collaborate. Absolutely. I think that would be great. Love to love to do that. Cool. Um, where can our listeners go to learn more in the meantime? You can uh, check us out on the web at alanet.org. And that's if you're a legal administrator at your firm that um, isn't a member, you should definitely check it out. Absolutely. And, or if you're a company that wants to sponsor, right, and then to uh, interact with legal administrators. Absolutely. Please do. alanet.org. Well, thank you so much for coming by and visiting with us this morning, man. This has been fun and in informative, and that, that idea, that's quite sincere. I think that would yeah, make for a marvelous segment. Yeah, I think we do a whole segment just by itself. I'd love to come back. All right, we'll do it. Hey, you going to hang out with us while we Absolutely. visit with our next guest? Happy to. Fantastic. Next up on Chicago Business Radio, we have with us the Grand Poobah Lee, the CEO and practice lead for a company called DevMind, Mr. J.C. Grubbs. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Well, we're delighted to have you. What did you learn in that last segment? I learned a ton. I learned a ton. <laughs> from all, I'm actually just excited to hear the rest of the table. So. <laughs> well, we're excited to hear about you. All right. What is uh, DevMind up to? So we are a uh, custom software solution provider, um, which is a, a big overarching term for an expensive coding Swiss Army knife. Um, <laughs> we do... Uh, <laughs> We, uh, we provide uh, custom software development services and design services for um, a variety of, of industries. So. so what 
what kind of industry? Uh, it's it's all over the place. We uh, trying to think recent customers. So um, we just finished a project a few weeks back for Major League Baseball, uh, working on their uh, ticketing systems for their uh, live streaming video services. Um, University of Chicago, um, wrapping up a Sun Times project right now. So, so how does it, so like if I'm a big company, what's sure. the pain I have where I'm like I better call the dev mind folks? <laughs> yeah, uh, that's also varied. Um, so we kind of have three different ways that we work with with customers. Um, the first is you know augmenting their existing staff, enhancing with you know extra skill set or you know more bandwidth, uh, etc. The second is sort of like as a, a turnkey. Um, providers. So company wants to launch a new product, we can come in and help them with the product development, uh, design and user experience, software engineering, infrastructure, launch, all that good stuff. And then kind of the third way is uh, what we like to call rescue projects. Uh, these are initiatives that have kind of failed within an organization um, for whatever reason. They could be personnel reasons, it could be technical reasons. Uh, and we've kind of become adept at helping you know, get those kind of initiatives back on track. You notice he looked right at me when he said rescue project. Yeah, so I don't yeah. know what you guys <laughs> talked about before I came in the, in the studio. It's obvious. <laughs> so uh, what do you think? Is this a good career path for the young person uh, considering uh, something in the technology arena? Would you encourage them to, to follow yeah, this trail? Absolutely. Uh, now has it's never been an easier time to get into the industry. Not that it, I would say that it's easy, but... Looking back at where I kind of I started, you know, 15 years ago, it was a very different landscape for kind of bootstrapping yourself into uh, technology and, and programming. Now, when you're saying technology, this is you're developing websites and apps and things like that. Mm -hmm. Primarily web applications. We but do, not like IT. You're not no. fixing servers or right. things like that. Right. We do a little bit of uh, operations, sort of automation work, um, but primarily web application development, a little bit of, of mobile development. And then you're you're trying to you're good at making the user experience. Yeah. So we is that um, a specialty. Yeah, we, we started out just as, as a development shop, and then um, about a year and a half ago, we started building our design practice within the organization, uh, again, to kind of get to that turnkey world where we can right. really help a customer holistically. So tell us a little bit, how does the, I'm always curious about this, but how does the sales and marketing thing work for a company like yours? Are you, are you typically finding yourself partnering with some other outfit, and they do the selling and bring you in, or are you out there marketing your services sure. standalone as well? Yeah, we do... Um, Almost all of our business comes from referral, honestly. Um, yeah. We do a lot of because networking. Because like if I go to some website, I right. see at the bottom it was made by your company, and then I'm like, well, I'm going to call those guys. They know what they're doing. It could be. Um, more often than not, it's introductions. It's um, you know, uh, past customers, uh, people that we network with and, and mm -hmm. refer. Um, you know, our sales cycles are, are pretty long. Uh, spend with our company is you know, pretty high, so it tends to be a, you know, a very high-touch you know. Uh, interactive sort of sales process. Well, what I need is a sexy app that'll help me manage 9,000 people that don't report to me. You got uh, one of those? Let's, <laughs> let's talk. Let's talk. Trying sure. to hook you up here. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Indeed. So tell but, us a little bit about the uh, the depth and breadth of your team, because I'm sure you're a very bright fellow, but you're not doing all this on no, your own. <laughs> no, uh, definitely not. Uh, I'm incredibly proud of, of the team we've been able to put together. Um, it's, it's really a testament to... Uh, the fact that you know really good people attract other really good people, and uh, and you know we've been incredibly fortunate. So we've got um, a very senior technical team. We've got uh, designers on staff. We've got a few people that focus on product development work. 
Um, and then we have an apprenticeship program, which is how we kind of grow the team from the junior end of the spectrum. Um, these are folks that are either coming in from another industry or, you know, right out of school and want to get into technology. And they spend three to six months with us working alongside of a senior person to kind of get, you know, get their fundamentals under under their belt. And uh, and then there's a job for them at the end if, if we feel like they've progressed. And these are people that have they already have a degree like in computer science or that you'll take somebody that doesn't know anything? Yep. Uh, it, what we're looking for is, uh, you know, technical aptitude, and that does not mean experience. So most of our apprentice candidates don't have any real on-the-job technology experience. Um, but we're looking for, you know, aptitude, um, you know, cultural fit, and then uh, a consultative sort of bent on things, right? We spend a lot of time making sure that our team is client-facing. Um, we don't have any managers in the way, you know, everyone on the team meets directly with the customers that they're working with. So that's a really big component of our sort of So that weeds out a lot of them, huh? I've, yeah. I've met some people. <laughs> <laughs> it's harder to find. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, that's true. But I mean, I think uh, there's certainly a place for uh, the, the less customer-facing uh, parts of our industry. <laughs> Well, I tell you, I, we could at Business Radio X, we could learn a thing or two about an apprentice program. I think right. that, that really that, that, yeah, that, that has a lot can of. Can you talk about how that evolved? Yeah, sure. Um, so I, honestly, I can't take credit for the idea. Um, it's well, something you can. You're the only one well, here yeah, from our right, company. Sure, sure I, I invented it <laughs> myself. Um, this is a really old idea. Um, you know, back from the Middle Ages, it's the the concept of um, you know apprentice to journeyman to master, and um, and it's sort of a, a kind of thing that's bubbling up in the technology space a little bit right now. Um, and it, honestly, it, uh, it's way more effective, we find, than the traditional sort of training routes. Um, so what did you do prior to the apprenticeship? So prior to that, I mean, we pretty much started the company right out of the gate with that program. Oh, okay, um, so you knew in your head that we're going to go this way. Yep. So now your first apprentice, walk us through what that was like. So uh, first one I would say was a little rough. We uh, we we <laughs> learned was a, a learning lot. curve. <laughs> it definitely was a learning you, curve. You've iterated yes, since that point. <laughs> we have. Um, yeah. So the the life of an apprentice is um, you know show up in the morning. He's going to pair with uh, a somebody, senior pair person, program right? or somebody on the team for. Um, was it you? Do they pair with you uh, initially when it was just <laughs> myself and my co-founder? Yep. Um, absolutely. Okay. So now I'm sitting next to you. Yep. And you're We're, at uh, your computer doing work. Yep. And there's a there's a lot of shadowing that happens early on because they don't really have a whole lot of skills. Um, we we love when they ask questions. That's how they learn. Uh, eventually, uh, over a few weeks, they start to get to the point where they can pick up some tasks on their own, put their hands on the keyboard. Like a what's bit a more. task? Early task. Uh, these would be small things, uh, small features to implement. Um, get me know. coffee. Yeah. No. <laughs> Wash my yeah, car. Sure. Sure. <laughs> um, no, we we want them to work on client stuff right, right. as fast as possible. Um, there's some other programs that focus more on um, you know fundamentals and theory and things like that, which I think is important. But we kind of take a different tack and and kind of. You seem very customer-centric, so yeah. they, you want to get them involved. I want to get them involved in customer work in front of customers and also on real client projects as, mm -hmm. as quickly as possible. So over their, their three to six months, um, you know, they progress in their skill set, and eventually the team says, you know what, I think this person's ready for, uh, to kind of stand on their own. Because it's a trust issue, right? Yep. They have to get – that's got to happen where mm -hmm. the team trusts them. Yep, absolutely. So you say customer-centric, uh, but I sense – user friendly too because i know we've had our own experiences with very technically proficient vendors and they 
to the letter of what we asked for, they deliver it, but without much thought to what the experience is like, you know, for people like me and Lee and Michael. And it sounds like you guys are very committed to that, and that's a big part of what you have to transfer to your apprentice. Yep. What's the plural of apprentice? Apprentices. 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 <laughs> apprentice. <laughs> Can you speak to that a little yeah, bit? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. That's important, right? Yeah, I, we um, we kind of believe that sort of design and user experience is as paramount to delivering clean, uh, you know, maintainable code. Um, ultimately, a customer wants clean, maintainable code, but what they really are paying for is the product. And uh, if if their customers you know, can't use it and it's not attractive and it's not, um, you know, easy to use, then it, it, it's a it's a failure ultimately. So that's really, really critical. Um, we spend a lot of time doing, you know, user interviews and um, wireframing and, and things up front to kind of make sure that we're hitting that nail on the head. Right, because you want to f- solve that first before yep. you start doing a lot of coding. Yep. That tends to lead us down, you know, an architectural path for the the back end of a system. Mm-hmm. So, can you share a story, maybe where um, the, you created this wireframe? You th- gave it. You thought you were on the right track. The customer came back and. Oh yeah, you know. yeah. The, it's very cheap to change a picture uh, that you've hand drawn. <laughs> That's right? a it's, good lesson it's, for it's, other developers out there. Yeah, it is not <laughs> cheap to to change code. So. Um, when we start with a new customer, we spend a lot of time, you know, at the whiteboard, um, drafting out, you know, ideas. As soon as you put a picture on on the whiteboard, it becomes it removes a lot of ambiguity in people's understanding, mm-hmm. and you can drive towards, you know, common language and and common idioms. Uh, a lot of the where projects fail is where the technical team doesn't really understand all the drivers and um, concepts that are in the business person's head, and so kind of removing that ambiguity early on opens up a lot of uh, a lot of clarity because sometimes what the customer wants it may not be as elegant as what the coder could do sure or the reverse right uh-huh. yeah so getting alignment is is key so I'd like to shift gears if if I might and talk a little bit about the startup community the startup environment because okay. you're no stranger to that community mm-hmm. you served as interim CTO for for several uh, tell us a little bit about the startup community here in Chicago, because Lee and yeah. I don't know. So. Yeah, it's uh, it's actually uh, really good. Um, it's yeah? it's definitely been heating up over the last couple of years. Um, uh, I think you know Groupon was a, a big um, driver for that. Uh, put a lot of focus here on Chicago. Um, there's uh, a lot of incubators that are starting up. Uh, there's 1871 uh, over in the Merchandise Mart. Um, so I think it's good. It has a different flavor than the startup communities in, in the Bay Area or uh, New York. Um, I think Chicago is a business town. And, uh, and so, you know, where New York has kind of the corner on the market and for content and San Francisco for sort of consumer apps, I think um, Chicago's startup community will kind of settle on the, the sort of business world. You know, we like to build things that make money. So. <laughs> That's always a good strategy. Yeah, I like. I, I <laughs> so now, um, in the, do you guys have startup events? So here? we do. Yeah, or we do a lot of events um, for for DevMind. There's tons of events here, um, startup focused events uh, in the in the community. Um, trying to think, there's there's a, a number of pitch sort of events uh, to uh-huh. help people. Where it's kind of like speed dating. Well, uh, so Technori is an organization here in Chicago that that does a monthly pitch event, and it's it's. It's sort of a VC pitch kind of idea. Uh-huh. Um, you stand on the stage for a few minutes and you pitch your startup idea. Um, there's some question and answer. And there's a number of events like that uh, here in Chicago which uh, help kind of prep startups for walking into a, a room with a lot of money and, and uh, 
convincing them to give it away. <laughs> Is there a lot of angel investors as well? Yeah, there's several uh, pretty pretty prominent angel investment groups here in town, and um, more um, you know hearing sort of popping up. Um, angel investment has kind of changed. I think uh, it used to be what we call today the sort of friends and family round used to be what we called angel, and now I think um, the angel sort of funding level is sort of fitting between VC and that that friends and family round. So they've become a lot more adept at uh, evaluating startups, for sure. So do you think this startup arena is a good place to go shop for new talent? Because Lee and I have thought about that. From time to time, we'll go do broadcast or we'll be invited to some of these events, whether we're broadcasting or not. And we, we see a lot of young, passionate people. Mm, sure. And we think to ourselves, man, I wish that person was up until 2 o'clock in the morning working on our stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, is it a good place to shop for talent? It, it is. Um, it, there's a different mentality um, in the startup world than there is, I think, in the in the sort of consulting world or the or the product world. And so, you know, making sure that there's a good fit on some of those angles is important. But there's an incredible amount of passion there, um, and I think that's that is one thing that the the sort of other arenas of technology probably could could take a lesson from. Um, you know people really get excited about the products that they're building and the users that they're that they're able to help uh and and the 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 sort of the money is different there too um you know people in uh, more traditional sides of technology are, are motivated by you know solving hard problems and and in in a, in the startup world there's not a whole lot of money um for for development there's a lot of uh you know sort of fake money and options and things right. like that and so so you have to find ways to to motivate your team that's uh, a little bit different perhaps but um but yeah it's a it's an exciting community you never go to one of those events and walk away i think right. feeling like you were bored now as being developers in your group do you guys take flyers on things or are you guys kind of Doing your own thing on the side. We uh, we've toyed around with some product ideas, and and we um, we have uh, you know taken some some equity and some customers that we really felt like uh, you know they had a, a solid idea. Um, but we're we treat that almost as if we were venture capital in right. those. In those uh, but I would think that since you have all of the resources sure. to you yep. know throw an app up, yep, you know, in, in someone's free time isn't. <clears throat> Yeah, we have we we definitely have some things that are percolating in the background, like a laboratory in the back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, growth plans for DevMind? Do you envision having other offices and other places in the country, or can you pretty much take the work in sure. here at headquarters at the Bat Cave, or how does that? Yeah, work? our our sort of long term vision. Um, we'd like to keep. Uh, we would like to to expand uh, geographically, but we'd like to keep any one office uh, in the sort of twenty to twenty five person range. So um, that's sort of our first milestone is getting the, the Chicago team up to about that 25 mark and then look at look at other uh, venues. We've done, we've been starting to do a lot of sales activities outside of the Chicago area and sort of in advance of that. So. All right. Where can our listeners go to learn more? Sure. You can head to the website. It's uh, devmind.com. That's D-E-V-M-Y-N-D.com. Well, thank you so much, man. This has You're been, uh, I, I this we have met so many smart, passionate folks on this trip, Lee. This is a lot of fun. Yep. But now it's time for the headliner, you know, the one the we've all been, on. That's right. We've all been waiting for. Everybody's been uh, incredibly patient. We now have with us joining us in the broadcast, Managing Director for Lynn Learning Collaborations. He's, he's got two jobs. He's also the Relationship Manager for Training Pros, uh, Senior Instructor, Thought Leaders. Please join me in welcoming to the show, Mr. Mike Lynn. How you doing, man? Hey, guys. I'm good. Thanks. 
Well, it is good to have you. So uh, you got a lot going on, man. What are you out there trying to do for folks? Yeah, well, and, and with all that, I am on my own. So JC and Oliver <laughs> have, have, have teams with them, but uh, but working on my own to, to do learning consulting across different dimensions for my clients, whether that's facilitating or coaching individuals or bringing learning consultants in to help them with their learning needs. Now, you once worked for a pretty large outfit that uh, a name many of us would recognize. Are we allowed to talk about oh, it? Sure. You can say I worked there at All right. <laughs> McKinsey & Company. All right, yeah. McKinsey & Company. At yeah. some point, and I don't know what you were thinking, because as I understand it, you can make a pretty comfortable living over at McKinsey & Company. At sure. some point, you said, you know what? Forget all this. Yeah. I'm going to go out on my own. I, well, my question is, what were you thinking? Yeah, well, it, it was uh, <laughs> a combination of kind of the right timing. and uh, I don't know the right timing. The, the economics weren't really the best time. It was the end of 2008 financial meltdown. But uh, it was a time where I was already having a, a good network of people from McKinsey and a lot of them had left the firm and already had needs for that kind of work. So I'd always thought about doing it on my own and opportunities came up to do that. So now what's been uh, a challenge for you from going from a large organization to kind of being an entrepreneur? Yeah, well, I certainly do miss a lot of those, the, the big team connection and having <laughs> lots of people working towards a broad goal. Sure. But I'm much more nimble as an independent consultant. So I'm doing a lot on my own. I could be much more versatile in terms of what I bring to the marketplace and the different types of work that I do for different clients. So are you seeing a trend in the kind of training and development that companies are coming to you and asking you for? Like, is it a whole lot more e-learning now or is it more uh, learning that's, that works on apps that, you know, the folks like JC and his team put together? Are you, do you, does this stuff trend from time to time? Yeah, well, there's certainly trends, but there's lots of mixed up messages in the marketplace. There's still a lot of old school, give us a training program. But then there's also people recognizing that people don't just learn in the classroom. They learn on the job. They learn at their computers. They learn with conversations with their managers. So the most sophisticated clients are the ones that recognize you have to do a blend of all of those. We still get the calls for, can you do a program on X, which is kind of the right. old school way of doing things. Not Radio X, but <laughs> program on X. But so, yeah, so, so it's all out there right now in the marketplace. Now, you talk about being on your own, and I suppose you are from, from that standpoint of being the, the, the front man and having those initial conversations. But you have quite a bit of depth and breadth in, in terms of your ability. Like, you don't try to be a diversity expert one day and a change management expert the next day. You have access to, to people that are at the top of their field? Sure. I mean, or at least that's what I would put on the brochure. Is that true? That's right, right. I like to think of it as like <laughs> okay. the SWAT team from the 70s. Yeah. Oliver right. mentioned the you know, specialists. There's people right. who are really good at their job. And there's, there's things that I've done throughout my career as a, a leadership development, a learning development person. I'm not an instructional designer. I'm not a diversity consultant. You mentioned that. With Training Pros, right. Training Pros is the other organization I work for. Training Pros is a team of independent consultants. So as I meet with clients, I'm in a position to say, do you have a need that one of these team members can address? And then I can help them have the consultant come to that organization. Well, the, the, the thing I guess I'm not entirely clear on, because these are, these are some pretty large organizations that you serve. Mm -hmm. Why are they coming to you? Why don't they just hire their own? Why don't they already have a diversity consultant, a change management consultant? A, so something must have changed in that mix, too. Sure, sure. And many do. And, and many have very large teams addressing these needs. I find a lot of times when I get called, it's, it's sort of the thing that doesn't fit. We've got a lot of people working on certain areas, but, but we do have this one need that we haven't quite found a place to land it. And we know that you've done that training thing in the past and that you've got this that team training, training thing. thing. That it is. It's sort of like that's that on your business it's like card. Exactly. Thing. Yeah. That, Could you do that tech thing, thing first? Give us some code. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But exactly. So, so the people that know me and call me in know that I can consult with them and be able to say, let's have a conversation about truly what you need and let's find the right solutions to address that. 
So now can you walk us through what that engagement looks like? So the first thing is this kind of just get information stage? Sure. Well, and there's no typical engagement, but coming from a consulting background, I do try to do similar to what JC mentioned. You have to understand right. your user needs. You have to truly understand what's going on in the situation, the limitations, the constraints, expectations, what's worked in the past. So you apply a, a consulting mindset. And being able to do that then gives you a, a position to say, all right, well, here are some possible solutions. Which ones seem to be the ones that might be the right direction for you? And you iterate in a hypothesis-driven way to come up with a solution pretty quickly for what they need. Now, is there a way to kind of test the waters? Or can you, do you typically start with a small project and then it expands? Or is it... Oh, sure. Yeah, typically it is pilot projects, especially in the learning space. The, the budget is typically limited or under high scrutiny. Right. Um, so you, you want to make sure you can... It, there is a need that usually merits a larger investment than they may come to the table for. What, what's an example of a pilot program? So I'm involved in a lot of leadership development programs, and that means a lot of coaching. That means a lot of coaching of managers. A client might come to me and say, we need some help on presentation skills. But they don't say, like, fix Bob. Well, sometimes they, they say that, too. Sometimes Bob does need some fixing. And, but, and those are sensitive situations because right. he's already needing to be fixed. But, it, but if you position it as positive, as a leadership development opportunity, then you realize that Bob needs more than just presentation skills. Right. Sometimes it's storytelling. Sometimes it's just how do you relate to your team? How do you coach? So being consultative helps you have conversations about that and broaden the, the lens of what they're really focusing on. Okay, I've got the same question I ask all these folks. Help me understand the sales and marketing, because again, it just—it seems to me like it would be tough to just go knock on the door at a big pharmaceutical company or a big manufacturing firm or whatever and say, "I'm your go-to training guy." I know you got some training folks. I know you got, but you know, when you have a need, just just call old Mike. I got you covered. That's right. I, which apparently is you've you've accomplished that and you've reached, but it couldn't have been easy in the early going anyway. Not well, it, it, well. I've been really lucky. So the McKinsey we talked about gave me an opportunity to be in front of lots of people. So who that's the strategy. Go hook go up with hook up with McKinsey, for McKinsey. <laughs> and then you're there. But whatever. <laughs> Whatever the source is, I, right. I was able to connect with a lot of people who, who knew me and trusted me and, and developed a, a sense that, yeah, this guy knows what he's talking about from a learning standpoint. So as they left the firm, I kept in contact with them. That, that would be a lesson for any independent entrepreneur. So now you're the go-to guy for so many of these folks, but you gotta, you can't neglect them either. You got to, I don't know, you bring them donuts every other week? Well, that would be great. They'd probably appreciate that. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. May not be good for their health from a learning mm -hmm. standpoint, but uh, yeah. So yeah, you, you have to nurture the relationships, and as an independent consultant, that's the big challenge, right? You're doing work sometimes. You're nurturing relationships that are existing clients or that have worked with you in the past, and then you're also trying to build new relationships. Maybe it's people you've known that are in your network, and sometimes it is new outreach, and that new outreach might be more: who do I know from different companies on LinkedIn? Who do I meet from getting involved in different community organizations or, or professional organizations? And you just build that network organically, and things eventually do happen. Now, you're a member of, uh, I guess it's now ATD. It used to be ASTD. That's, That's right. an association that um, yes, that exactly. has a lot of members, right? Yeah, as Oliver was talking, I was thinking about that. I, years ago, I was in the, a newspaper trade association, the Inland Press Association. But, uh -huh. but currently, yeah, the Chicago chapter of the Association and Tra of Training and Development which will have a new name yet to be determined. But Everybody's rebranding. Exactly. Yeah, no We're definitely rebranding. <laughs> so, so I'm a board member for that, and that's one of the, And that's we, a volunteer? Yeah, it's all volunteer, you know, in the context of everybody's day jobs. But that's a way to kind of, back to our earlier conversation, that's also a way to stay plugged into the ecosystem, genuinely serve those folks, and they see that you're not just a transactional guy, that you that's really right. do want to help the learning and development. Yeah, it community. is all about relationships. So associations are are key from a, from that standpoint. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And that sensitivity of being a, a vendor, but also wanting to build relationships first and foremost. Not, it's a not real about steward. making a quick yeah. deal. Yeah, being a steward of the community. 
So I got to ask you about, uh, I want to go back to this trends in learning and development. And hopefully is uh, JC's mic open because he might have something smart to, to say about it. I mean, do, there's a lot more of this e-learning. You got, I just said it, but maybe it's true. Are there, there's apps. Like if I, let's say I go to a training program and I learn this, you know, the seven steps to effective selling. Is it plausible that there's some app that, that helps me tap into that before I go on my sales call or is reinforcement learning? Is it? Sure. There, there's certainly some apps out there. Sense. Yeah, there's a lot of custom development as well. Mm-hmm. I think the real challenge is going to be broadening the discussion to be able to say, first of all, you need more than just this training event. You might right. need some tools that might help you on a day-to-day basis. Maybe there's some online tips that you can use as a resource when you're out there before a sales call. I'm sure there's lots of opportunity for that. And I'm also sure there's probably a lot of new dimensions that we can can push towards as a community, a shared community. I mean, are you starting yeah. to see some of that? And I don't know about training, but just any kind of follow-up reinforcement product launch, I don't sure. know. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the key there is keeping it contextual. There's so much information online right now. Um, right. And, you know, as you were saying, you know, going into a sales meeting, what are the things that I actually need to know right now in this context uh, as opposed to having to sift through a bunch of things? So, like, I think, I think um, anything electronic is it should be supporting um, and, and contextual. Yeah. And also, though, when you, I was talking earlier about, well, maybe they already have their own trainer. Maybe they do have the best sales trainer on the planet, knows everything there is to know, and is a fantastic stand-up in-the-classroom trainer. But he may not be the right guy to do the e-learning or the web. He might be a good subject matter expert for JC to pull the knowledge out and get it on the app. I don't know. Absolutely. But that's a different skill set, too, right? It doesn't necessarily... Right. Migrate? That's right. Well, and, and nor would that person necessarily want to be. Maybe they want to be. <laughs> I don't need trainer. no stinking web. Yeah, they need exactly. to come to me. Yeah. So, so in my role, I do f- facilitate that conversation. Let's bring in the right people to do ah, the right okay. things when they need it. Yeah, and, and sometimes it's a team effort. That that person can be uh, a subject matter expert, as you said. They can help in devising and developing the program. But then there might be specialists who can really make it a good user friendly tool. Now, what's the most rewarding part of your job? I love the diversity. Yeah, that. So another reason I. I I had a lot of diversity within the role at McKinsey, but beyond that, I've been able to do a lot of different work, ranging from presentation skills, executive coaching. I've done some work with Agile in the learning community, so I'm sure a topic JC would be interested in. But it gives me every day is different, and and for my personality, that really works with me well. And uh, this ASTD slash ATD or whatever we decide to call it, talk a little bit about your your role there, because you're not just a a member. I mean, you try to take on a leadership post and... So what are your activities that you foresee in the coming months uh, with that outfit? Sure. Well, my, my lens is I'm the director of group membership. So as much as the organization tries to solicit individuals to join who might be individual consultants or members of a team within a company, we find that if there's a company that really wants to invest in their people, they might make a group membership, which in, for dollars for dollars is a much better investment than doing several individual investments. So my role is to try to go out and meet learning teams from within communities and, and convince them that this is actually a good investment in your team members to help them grow as learning professionals. And is your ratio like his, like a third is dues? And then you 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 got to make that up with other... We have a lot of events. Like we do have, have sponsorships as sponsors. well. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a mix. And, and across the board, you're always trying to move the numbers for all those different dimensions and continue to add value for your members so that there's a reason to have an organization. Right. But so the same thing, though, the members you want, you want to like, uh, well, I mean, I think Training Pros is a good example. In fact, I think that's how we might have initially met the folks at Training Pros, where they were marvelous stewards for the training development community in Atlanta. And they were working. But so but you're in search of those kinds of uh, vendors, not even a fair word to call them. Partners. Partners. That's the word we're using now. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) They're now called partners, right? (laughs) 
But it, yeah, it's the ecosystem. It's, it's bringing yeah. all those people together, and and so you have a range of people who are represented within an organization like that, very similar to to Oliver's organization. Now, any advice for a young person getting involved in learning? Well, I, I would say be consultative. I think uh, there's a lot of tendency in the learning community to be order takers and just react mm. to what the the business partners want. We need a training program on X, and that reinforces a perspective that you're just an order deliverer. Mm-hmm. And so the more you could be strategic and consultative, all the things we've been talking about, that gives you an opportunity to really broaden the discussion and earn credibility from a business standpoint. And then join an organization like ATD? Certainly. Well, yeah, I mean, right. there's, there's lots of opportunities, and it's a great way to network and build your, your professional connections. All right, so let's leave our listeners with uh, coordinates so that they can reach you personally, but let's also leave them with uh, the ability to reach out to ATD, is that what we're calling them? <laughs> yeah, well, ATD. yeah, so, so, oh, okay. but, so my website for my own independent work is www.linlearningcollaborations.com, Lynn, L-Y-N-N, and you can spell learning collaborations. Um, and then also with Training Pros, it's www.training-pros.com. I should know the website for the CCASTD, but it's www.ccastd.org. I know they're in the process of changing their name, so I'm not sure when that website will That's change. That's right. Our user-friendly-minded producer will make sure that the appropriate <laughs> link shows up in, wherever we publish. And, and we'd love, if there's new members out there or potential members, we'd love to talk to them and bring them in the ranks. Well, it has been a real delight having you in, man. And, Thank you. Uh, enjoyed working with you the last few days on, on the other project as well. Thank what you. A, you guys what are a great team. Job. You bring a great service to the community. Hey, it beats the heck out of working. <laughs> it's been a fun trip, hasn't it, Lee? All right, this is Lee Cantor for Stone Payton. We will see you all next time on Chicago Business Radio.